Welcome to the Blaze and Bush Podcast. I'm Jeff Bush, and along with my co-host Jim Blaze, we are here to share with you authentic stories of God's extraordinary revelation in ordinary lives. Our hope is that like Moses in the burning bush in Exodus 3, you may encounter the Lord through these humble experiences. Welcome to the podcast. Today, Jim and I talk with Chris Reynolds. Chris is the executive director of the Couple to Couple League. The Couple to Couple League is an international Catholic nonprofit organization dedicated to promoting and teaching fertility awareness to married and engaged couples. Jim and I were introduced to Chris, whose story immediately captured us with his raw, passionate, and emotional conversion of heart. He grew up in an era that was marked by confusion, both inside and outside of the church. He speaks of his dad going to Vietnam and leaving him and his sisters with a family who already had 10 children. He experiences some pretty poor religious formation in a Catholic school, having been taught things contrary to the faith. This was not necessarily a universal experience in the church, but at the time, unfortunately, it wasn't uncommon either. He's very candid about his views, which were set against Christ in the church. He's upfront about how he was pro-abortion early in his marriage. He has, through a couple of experiences, a pretty dramatic conversion, much like St. Paul's encounter with the Lord. You can see that the same passion that drove him in his secular life, once he encounters Christ, is still alive in his life for the Lord. He has a great honesty and a real humility, one that, again like St. Paul, is unashamed to share his own shortcomings because they give glory to God. His story is one where people can recognize that God desires to enter into the lives, even of those who oppose him. So let's listen in. I grew up in a Catholic family. I was, I guess you would call it adopted. It was more of legal guardianship. And my, myself and my two sisters were taken in by a family when I was 17 months old. And they had 10 kids of their own. And my dad was in Vietnam at the time. And we, he needed somewhere for us to go temporarily. Um, 18 years later, and I was still there. Oh, wow. And which is fine. And, sure. you know, he, he did what was best for us. And looking back, hindsight's 2020. Uh, but looking back on it, and I can see, see why. I grew up in this Catholic family, went to church every Sunday, went to Catholic school in the 70s and 80s, and lost my faith. I left the church in high school. I started leaving probably in middle school because we were taught that the the Eucharist is a symbol, and they got rid of the confessionals, and they got rid of the communion patents, and they stopped receiving at the communion rail and receiving communion in the hand, and benediction went away, and you know all the things I remember as an altar boy came in. They took our cassocks away from us and put us in the ugly white robes and. I know I'm not politically correct, but, and they brought girls in. And I said, well, one of the questions was why? We had a bunch of boys that were serving. And they said, well, this is where we're heading. And I said, well, we're all heading out of here. And we pretty much all left. And went on to Catholic high school and was taught things that were contrary to the faith there, you know, how to be safe with sex and so on and so forth. And I was pretty much gone at that point. 
spent 17 years out of the church. I, I say I was a pagan because I worshiped the false god called money. And we, I met a beautiful woman, Cecilia. She's my, my bride of, I think, 28 years. Don't hold me to that. But <laughs> 19, 1991 to, to now, I think that's 28 years this year. I know the date. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> we were married in the Catholic Church, and uh, the only reason we were is because we wanted a reception, and our father wouldn't have paid for a reception if we didn't get married in the church. Um, neither one of us were really in the church, but go figure. We had two priests. We had my parish priest and hers, both marry us. Weird. And it, we just went through the motions, but we had a great reception. It was at our house. But we spent the years after that just enjoying the, the fruits of life, as they say. We were living the American dream. I had a successful real estate business, and she worked with me in the office part, and we were traveling, having fun, partying. We belonged to our local golf club, and I was playing golf, I don't know, four or five, six days a week, and she was enjoying it. And we were having lunches and dinners there and just having a ball. Didn't want children. To our Catholic friends, we always said, oh, God has not blessed us yet, our family and what have you, because it always shut them up when you say that. To our secular friends, we didn't want children. We wanted nothing to do with them. They, it just was not in our plan. So technically, looking back, we didn't have a valid Catholic marriage for many years. Um, we contracepted, not knowing any better, because in pre-Cana, we were told to use our conscience for whatever contraception we decided. And God bless them. They did bring somebody in to talk about NFP, but they looked like they just came off a commune. They had like, I don't know, five dozen kids. And I was like, yeah, right. It's not working for you. I'm out. Right? <laughs> you know, you know, but again, we were coming from the yuppie secular world back then. And, you know, we were told, use your conscience. Well, come to find, I really have one. I had ethics, but I didn't have a conscience, you know, when it came to being formed in the faith. So I turned around and we just, uh, we lived for eight years like that. And she became pregnant. And that's where my journey home or journey to, to find the Lord started. That background is wonderfully helpful. It helps to paint Good. the picture where it is that you were coming from and what the context of your life was like. We've heard from Many in the past that are worshiping at the altar of the almighty dollar or the country club, I, I can speak personally to that myself. But we'd love for you to continue walking through your journey and shedding some more light on what happened when your wife became pregnant and how did your journey really accelerate from there? That was probably the best thing that ever happened to us. That was the best thing. I mean, we now have a beautiful daughter, 20 years old. And uh, this was in 1999. We found out she was pregnant. So were, were we, you um, surprised to find out? Oh, or was it... oh yeah. <laughs> uh, we I can imagine. We were contracepting. Now, we had gotten off of oral contraceptives four years before because it just was messing up my wife. We didn't know why or, you know, but it was just it wasn't good for her. And she just didn't like being on it. And, but we were contracepting in other ways. The sure. mentality was still there. and and uh, we were not living a virtuous life at all. I mean, it was it was not good. So we, we did. We found out she was pregnant. 
I was pro-abortion at the time. You know, I was, you can do it if you want. And I remember when we went in for the first sonogram, and that was probably in March. And that's when it really hit me. I heard the heartbeat of the baby. It was 12 weeks. So I guess it would have been March. And I heard the heartbeat. And I'm like, what's that noise? And the doctor said, that's, that's the baby's heartbeat. And I'm like, nah. And he's like, yeah. And I'm like, no, it doesn't have a heart. It's still a blob. No, it's not. It's got little arms and starting to develop. Here, look, this, is a, this will be a picture of it. And back then, we didn't have the sonograms we have now where you can see a baby smiling at you. Right, you know, right. years ago. Right. Um, but that little heartbeat woke me up. I'm like, holy mackerel. That day I became pro-life. Wow. Because God. I'd been lied to. And we left there. And I knew deep in my heart, you know, my mom, God bless her, and my dad, they trusted the Catholic schools to educate me in the Catholic faith. They, we weren't a, 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 quote, devout family. You know, we didn't pray a rosary every night. And I don't even know if we prayed grace before meal. You know, it just, but they were good people. Holy people come to find out. I didn't realize how much my mom was praying for me for 17 years. She prayed a rosary a day for me. And I had no idea she was praying for me. If I would have known, I would have told her not to waste her time. <laughs> and it's one of these things where I was like, okay. So we, we find out she's pregnant and our whole world got rocked. I mean, it's all of our plan. I mean, you know, my wife, I say she was a raving feminist. Does she hear this? She'll probably be upset, but I, I say it out loud. I don't care. But she was, she was a feminist. She's like, you know, once we have this baby, I'm going back on contraceptives. I'm like, no, you're not. Well, I didn't say no, you're not at that point. And she goes, I'm coming back to work. And I'm like, okay, fine. I really didn't want her to. I mean, I grew up in a house with my mom at home. Yeah. You know, I, I wanted her to stay home. But she was like, I'm coming back to work. I said, good. Bottom line is you run my business. <laughs> you run our business. I mean, she was the smart one out of the group. I just happened to be a, the rainmaker. She made the rain get where it needed to go. So I was like, that's fine. So we turned around and I knew I needed to raise the kid with a faith because my mom growing up, I, because of my childhood, I had night terrors and I sleepwalked or sleepwalked and talked in my sleep. I mean, I had all kinds of issues. I did, you know, I did this clear on up through the first eight years of my marriage. It would freak my wife out. I'd get up screaming in the middle of the night. But my mom, to get me to sleep, I remember her sitting next to me on my bed and holding my hand and she would say, pray Hail Mary's. Not the rosary, but just pray Hail Mary's and Mary will help you go to sleep. I said, okay. So, I, you know, what's funny is all those 17 years I was away, I still did that to go to sleep. No kidding. Still did it to go to sleep. It's strange, but it worked. So, so I just kept doing it. So God was acting even during the time when you were away. I mean, clearly you can look back and see that God was still present. Oh, yeah. He never left me. For sure. Um, and his mother was with me. I mean, <laughs> she, you know, Mary was with me the whole time, looking back on it now. So how did God open your eyes to his presence? Well, that baby, um, and her name is Mary, by the way. That opened my eyes to the fact that I needed to raise her with a faith, and I didn't have one. So, you know, I knew Christianity. I looked at Islam, and I was like, that's weird. <laughs> um, you know, a little bit of Buddhism, that's weird too. And Christianity was 
yeah, I knew about it. You know, I grew up with it. You know, it was a lukewarm one, but it was one. So we started looking at different denominations because we didn't want to go back to confession. We wanted nothing to do with that. I didn't understand the Eucharist or, you know, any of the teachings of the church. So we started looking, went to an Anglican service, and that was really, it was as close to what I remembered as a kid, Mass. It was Catholic light, my wife called it. And I was like, yeah, no confession. But as I started researching the history of the different denominations, the major ones, I mean, there's, what, 34,000 different denominations now? Right. The major ones, they all led me back to the Catholic Church. They all came from the Catholic Church. Protestant friend of mine said, you know, I, I was asking him questions. He's like, get a Bible. I said, I got one. King James Version, but I had one. He said, oh, that's a good one. Okay, great. So I started reading it, and I had questions. There were questions in there that, because I'm searching at this point for a faith. What do I believe? What am I going to raise it? How, how am I going to raise this kid without a faith? I knew I had to do that. That was in my heart. I think my mom imprinted that on my heart. As I'm reading scripture, I'm running across things like John chapter six, you know, really hit me. Unless you eat of my body and drink of my blood, you will not have life within you. I'm like, what is this mess? And, you know, and then the other one, the one on, you know, Peter in the rock, upon this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And I'm like, okay, where's this church? So as I was researching the history and come to find out it came from the Catholic Church, and God put in my life a Catholic family five years prior, because I joined the Knights of Columbus five years prior to this. Interesting. And partly was because it was good for business, for my real estate business. Sorry. But partly, I think I was searching even five years prior. But what I found was a beer tap. But in that organization, there were a couple men there that were strong in their faith. One of them was uh, Joe and Marnie Scora. God bless them. They're a you know, couple. And I was also president of Junior Chamber of Commerce. They were part of that organization with me. And we became friends. And I remember Joe trying to share the faith with me. And I was like, get away from me. Yeah, you're wasting your time with that. You know, you're broke all the time. You got all these kids, you know, where we were playing golf at the country club, you know, time for this. But you know what? When I had questions, I called Joe and I'm like, all right, Joe, what's the deal here? What's the, what are the rules and regs of the Catholic Church? Because all these different denominations, it looks like the Catholic Church is the one that put the, even the Bible together, from what I understand here. What's the rules and regs of the Catholic Church? He said, get a Bible and get a catechism. I said, I got a Bible. What is a catechism? He goes, you don't know what a catechism is? You went through 12 years of Catholic school. I said, I have no clue what you're talking about. Go down to this little place called Our Lady Center in Ellicott City, Maryland. Now, I'd sold real estate in these towns for 10 years. I had no idea this place even existed. And I go down there, and I walk in, and Mickey was in there. I'll never forget this. And I said, I'm, I need a catechism, and I need a Bible. And she gets me the catechism. And she goes, well, which Bible do you want? I said, I need a Catholic Bible. I don't know how many Bibles are there, for goodness sakes. You know, I thought there was only one. And she goes, well, there's different translations. What are you trying to do? I said, I don't know. I'm just trying to find out what the church says. And, you know, she goes, okay, here's St. Joseph's edition. She told me what the other ones 
you know, the difference in translations, easier to read. This is St. Joseph's. It's easier to read. I said, all right. She goes, have you ever seen our chapel? I said, man, I had no idea you even existed down here. They had just built this new chapel. And she goes, well, here, let me show you. So I go in with her and she goes down on both knees, face on the floor. I'm like, are you okay? You know, I thought she fell. Well, apparently adoration was going on. I had no idea. And she was genuflecting. And I was like, what do you, you know, what? She goes, the blessed sacrament sound. It's adoration. And I'm like, what are you talking about? It's, uh, you know, wafer. It's not. Come on. And she goes, come with me. We walk outside. And she goes, that's Jesus. Body, blood, soul, and divinity. I said, yeah, okay. You keep believing that and we'll be in good shape here. She goes, haven't you worked? You taught this? And I went, no. It's a symbol. She goes, no, it's not. And she took me back in. She goes, I got one more thing for you. So she gives me a book on Eucharistic miracles, a little pamphlet, you know, it's a little thin one, I don't know, 50 pages maybe, or had pictures, and it was kind of cool. She goes, here. So I take it home, along with the catechism and the Bible, and this is, I go home for lunch. And I sat down at the dining room table, and I started going through the catechism, started with all the stuff I had issues with. I became pro-life because of the baby. I knew that it was a life, you know. I didn't know how pro-life I was going to be, but I knew that that was a baby. It wasn't just a blob. But I still looked up, why is, you know, what's the church say on abortion? What do they say on contraception? Because my wife was talking about going back on. What do they say on all the, you know, homosexuality, all this stuff? And he kept referring me to scripture and then something called early church fathers. Right. And I'm like, who are these people? Well, we didn't have a Bible for 400 years, so they, these are all writings from bishops that were trained by the apostles. I didn't know this, so guess where I head? I head back down to Our Lady Center, and I get a book. I get start getting stuff on our early church fathers. And I had never read a book in my life from cover to cover. When I started reading it, I'm like, holy mackerel. They have been teaching the same thing. When it comes to faith and morals for over 2,000 years. And I, it came to this point, this is probably over a week or so, but it came to this point where I said, I either have to believe this 100% or reject it 100%. Right. And that came down to faith. And when I read those Eucharistic miracles and what the church taught on the Eucharist, I was like, holy mackerel, this is true. This is what's been going on for 2,000 years. We've had a mass every day. At that point, I realized I either had to accept this or reject it. And this was probably in May of that year. And because I remember for my birthday, Joe and Maureen had a little girl named Mary. She's now a focused missionary. God, I love that kid. And she gave me a miraculous medal for my birthday. And that's when everything started really going full force. And I started living, uh, trying to live my faith the best I could. I went back to confession for the first time in 17 years. Oh, yeah. And when I did that, all the night terrors went away. All my sleepwalking went away. All my sleep talking, you know, talking in my sleep went away. All of that stuff has been gone ever since. No kidding. And I've had a peace. 
about just everything. I used to worry about all kinds of stuff. You know, it's funny because in the beginning, my wife was worried about me and worried about money. Me, I didn't care anymore. I didn't care anymore what happened. You know, all I was worried about was my salvation. Wow. And hers. So I started trying to convert her. You don't convert people, by the way. No, that's right. Everybody knows that. We had a major blow up because, you know, I found out about NFT. And, you know, I told her she, she needs to learn this. She needs to learn it. I mean, she does. Ah. Because we're not going back on contraception. We're not doing it. I'm not doing it. And it, it became, it was tough. I mean, I'm not going to, there was one night where she was in tears, you know, sitting there saying to me, I don't know who you are. And I'm saying, praise the Lord. (laughs) And that didn't go over well, by the way. So I remember that night. And this is where it really hit me. There were two different instances where I knew God existed to the, in the Blessed Sacrament. One of them was right before I came back to, uh, right after I went to confession, I went to adoration one day, and I said, Lord, if there's anything I missed, show me. Be careful what you pray for. Because he gave me a friend of mine told me I had a mini, little mini judgment. He gave me an opportunity to see how I offended him through many years. I mean, faces of people, instances where, you know, my words killed somebody's soul. All these things. And I was in tears. I mean, who, the guy, the person that was in there must have thought I lost my mind or something. Because, and this all happened within minutes, if that. I mean, it was... I left there that night. I went home, and the next day I start making phone calls to people apologizing, trying to find people that I saw in these visions. And oh, wow. I did it, you know, I, I, I did as many as I could, you know, as, as who I could find, and we didn't have the internet the way we have it today. But as many as I could find, I, I, I went and said I was sorry that I, I did whatever I did to them. And I'm telling you, it was the. It was scary, but also very free. Sure. And then I went back to confession because the priest told me, as you remember, things bring it back, but you've been forgiven of everything. And I'm like, cool. So periodically I did that. That's, that's and, fantastic. What a great grace to be able to experience your particular judgment in a way prior to death, right? Yeah. It, <laughs> it was a grace that... I I'm thankful for, but at the time just threw my world into a tailspin. Oh, I'm, um, sh- I'm sure it was painful, right? I mean, that, that's it, it was, it, but it was also freeing at the same time. It was peaceful. It's, it's the weirdest thing. It's really <laughs> like a, it, it's a, a, a miniature version of purgatory. I mean, this is exactly how the church describes what purgatory is. Hey, it's Jim again. You know, I'm the kind of guy that when he finds something really worthwhile, likes to tell people about it. So I wanted just a minute here to tell you about a line of Christ-centered clothing called God's Brand. I personally have several God's Brand items, pullovers, button-downs, a really nice quarter-zip fleece. 
They're stylish, and they help me represent my faith in everyday life. When you get a chance, check out godsbrand.com. They have all sorts of styles for almost any occasion. Again, they're at godsbrand, all one word, dot com. Check it out. You'll be glad you did. So, Chris, you have this mini judgment. What happens next? So, at that point, I realized that I had to, um, I had to, I had to save my wife. I had to make sure she got to heaven, and that's when I really started pushing on her. And I read that night when she was in tears, and I don't know who you are, and you're not the man I'm married, and I'm yelling, "Praise the Lord!" And that didn't work, and. So I said, I'm going to go to adoration. She was in tears. She had, we had the baby by this point. I remember her going to adoration that night. And I said, Lord, this woman you gave me, what am I to do with her? He goes, leave her alone. I said, what do you mean? She's going to burn. I can't do this. Did I ever yell at you? Did I ever call you names? Did I ever hit you? Did I ever push you? Why don't you try fasting for her? Why don't you try praying for her? Why don't you try offering your communions for her? Why don't you try just loving her? Leave her alone. And I went, oh my goodness. So I did. I started praying 15 decades of the rosary every day for her. I started receiving communion every day and giving it to her spiritually. Um, I fasted twice a week for um, her conversion, and I left it in God's hands. I never said another thing. I went home that night, and I said, I'm sorry, honey, I, I just treated you wrong, and I will not bother you anymore about this. It's between you and God. She thanked me, and I didn't. I kept my word. But as meant that year, I wanted to, and we had had the baby, and I wanted to and the, the whole story of birth of my daughter is a miracle. And that helped even wake her up a little bit. Mm-hmm. But at that point, I said, I want at the Advent penance service, I want to, I want you to come with me. And I'm going to revert back just a step because I can't miss this. The birth of my child, she was due in September. We had, I was the chairman of the Arts and Crafts Festival in Catonsville, and she was in charge of registration along with Maureen, who are friends of ours that were, they were both pregnant, nine months pregnant. But anyway, I asked God, I said, Lord, if you can do me one favor, just hold this baby off until after the festival. Let us get through this festival. Well, he did. And the next morning, apparently part of her water broke. It was a whole day of miracles that went on that day. One of them was we rushed out. We got to the hospital. We rushed out. And I left without my rosary. So we were in a Catholic hospital. I went down, got a rosary from the gift shop. And it was a Celtic rosary. It just was pretty. I liked it. So I had it blessed by the chaplain that was there. I had a priest on staff. So I had my rosary. I felt better. And that evening, the doctors came in and started putting monitors on her and and I'm asking, well, what's going on? And they're, oh, we're just, we keep losing the heartbeat. And just things were just not going right. This is on so your on and, your wife or on, on your daughter? My, you know, on, on my wife. Well, okay. my daughter wasn't doing well in utero. And oh, I see. 
so you know they're they're moving her back and forth trying to get the baby to land in a certain way and and all of a sudden they they put in an internal monitor and apparently the water broke completely at that point and my daughter dropped down into the birth canal and they lost the heartbeat oh sorry they rush her out and i'm left there i asked for a priest i pull out this rosary i got that morning and i start praying and it was a monday so it was the joyful mysteries and right around the birth of our lord i remember praying lord if you're going to take them i'm not going to lose my faith over this i i trust in you and you have a reason for everything you do. But if it be your will, let them both come back to me. Because I didn't know at that point. Right around the third joyful mystery, it was like the Blessed Mother wrapped her arms around me and said, trust in my son, everything will be okay. And the priest walks in around this time, and he starts praying with me. Right as I finished the rosary, it took about 20, 25 minutes. The nurse comes in and says, there's been some complications. And I'm like, oh, dear God, no. We lost the heartbeat. She was without oxygen for 17 minutes. We got her out. She was blue, purple. We resuscitated her. But she's not responding. We think she might have some brain damage. The baby. Your wife is fine. We're closing her up. But we have to take the baby to the NICU. And I said, I need to see her now. And they're like, you can't. And I said, no, I need to see her now. Well, we're rolling her out of the operating room. Uh, she's in a bubble. She's got all these tubes. Everything's hooked up. You know, all this stuff. And... You can see her as we're rolling her into the NICU. And they did. They rolled her out. And I said, Mary, it's your daddy. We had already named her. We knew it was going to be a girl. Her little eyes opened up. <laughs> she was out of the NICU in two hours. The nurse comes back into me because they sent me back to the room and said, it's a miracle. She should have brain damage. And I knew it was a miracle. That girl is as smart as all get out. She's in her third year at Tufts University up in Boston. Well, Chris, I didn't realize (laughs) we were going to need tissues on this side. I didn't, uh, I was not prepared for this, but (laughs) that is a fantastic (laughs) story. Thank you so much for sharing. Thank you for opening your heart. Amen. But you, you, you shared the story within the story. It's almost a, as a, that was powerful, and I'm so grateful that you shared it, but uh, it's almost a parenthetical within your continuing conversion. So, like, how did that impact your wife? And I'm dying to hear the rest of <laughs> yeah, this. Yeah, I know. We're, we're, we're loving this, by the way. We're just going to sit here quiet for a while. <laughs> Praise God, man. The, uh, the impact on my wife at the time, I don't know what it was, to be honest with you. She still hadn't had a conversion. Um, I was still praying for her. She knew that God worked on that. She knew it was a miracle. But as I, I rewind, rewound a little bit, 
during Advent of that year, I, I asked her um, to come to the Advent penance service with me. It's the first time I said anything about coming to church or, you know, asking her to do anything. She said, fine, but I'm not going to confession. I said, that's fine with me. I'm not, you know, again, I'm not trying to push you. I remember going to the service and we sat in the pews pretty much towards the back of the church and we had the baby and we're sitting here and she's holding Mary and we're listening to the readings and the readings finish and the priests head in different directions. You know how they go off and they have, you know, half a dozen priests to hear confessions. And my wife stands up and hands me the baby, hands me Mary. And I, I said, where are you going? You're going outside. Now. And at the time we smoked. I know, bad. I said, you're going out the hall on the bus. And she goes, no, I'm going to confession. And I yell, praise the Lord. <laughs> yeah. Catholic church. Uh, she goes, shh. But everybody in the church turns around and looks at me, you know, because they're not used to hearing that in the Catholic church, you know, out loud. Suddenly you became very <laughs> evangelical. Oh, I was very evangelical. Um, priest friend of mine said, Chris, you need to learn to put the hammer of truth down um, and, and get truth easier. I said, okay. So I still pray for that every day. So at that point, we realized that our lives were changing. And, you know, I'm working to keep up with the lifestyle we had become accustomed to. And I was praying to God because, you know, I'm coming home at night and the baby's doing something and she did something and she goes, she's been doing that for two weeks. Where have you been? Oh, wow. And I'm like, I've been working to keep you in the life you've become accustomed to and we have been become accustomed to. And when are you coming back to work, by the way? And this is probably in the spring of that year. I don't know. January, February, because we're getting ready for our spring season in real estate. She goes, I'm not. I had this baby. I'm going to raise this baby. And I'm like, oh, man, I'm in trouble. So needless to say, I'm stressed out. You know, I got all this stuff. I mean, we're, we're very successful. But, you know, with success comes a lot of sacrifice when it comes to family and everything else a lot of times. And I wasn't willing to do it. I had a conversion, you know, I, I saw what was important and the stuff of this world. I remember going up to, to sell a $650,000 house. Now this is 20, 20 some years ago and driving up the beltway of Baltimore. I'm driving up and I'm like, Lord, what am I doing here? And a hearse goes by with one car behind it. Oh, wow. And he goes, I can hear him as clear as day. And God talks to us. We just have to be quiet and let him talk and hear him and be open to hearing him. And he said to me, he said, do you see a U-Haul behind that hearse? How many cars do you see behind that hearse? And I went, none. He says, you can't take it with you. And what you do here affects who is behind you when you come to see me. And I went, oh. And at that point, I realized that I had to change. We had to change our life. We had to get simple. We had to stop worrying about all the stuff of the world. You know, the country club, he even gave me a message once. He said, the country club never gave me a hug every month when I paid them. They never told me they loved me. 
but my wife does and my children do. My cars never gave me a hug and told me they loved me. My house never gave me a hug and told me they loved me. My vacations, I never did that. We just work to have stuff. But what the important stuff is, nobody ever, and I realize nobody ever dies and goes, man, I wish I would have worked more. They always say, I wish I would have spent more time with my family, my loved ones. Because that's where you find Jesus. In the pain and suffering of everyday life of family is where you find Jesus. That is the, the picture of the Trinity. Father, Son, and Spirit. Mother, Father, Children. And at that point, I realized that I couldn't keep going. And I remember praying one day, and I'd met a, a Catholic evangelist by the name of Thomas Rukowski. He, he had a mission called Gospel Missions out of Evans City, Pennsylvania. And I was really impressed by him trusting God. And we started tithing, and I, we had never done that before. I remember praying one day. I was like, Lord... You know, in front of the Blessed Sacrament again, Lord, all I need is a roof over our head, food on the table, and health insurance. That's what I need. I need peace, and I'm not finding it right now. And the next day, I'm talking to Thomas, and God bless him. He said, how are you doing? I said, I'm horrible. I said, I'm just, I'm trying to keep up with the Joneses, you know, trying to keep this whole thing going, and I'm just done. I, I have no peace in my heart with this. I love my clients. I love my business. It was a 90% referral business. So I looked at selling it. And the only people that would had money to buy it were the real estate agents that were just not very ethical and good. And he says, why don't you come run the mission for me? You know, come help me with the mission. I said, Tom, you can't afford me. He says, what do you need? And I went, what do you mean? He said, what do you need? I said, well, I need somewhere to live. So I got an apartment upstairs. Well, you know, I just had a baby. I need health insurance. Well, we give full, full benefits. I said, well, how am I going to feed the family? I said, we'll give you enough to eat off of. And I'm like, are you kidding me? I just prayed for this. Be careful what you pray for. I said that in the beginning. Because God will give you what you need. He won't always give you what you want. I've never needed for anything in the past 20 years. I've wanted for things, but I've never needed for anything. He's always, and there's so many miracles when it comes to finances and stuff like that with me. But at that point, I said, you know what? Let me talk to my wife. So I talked to Cecilia. And we decided we're going to look at going and visit. And they were out of Evans City, Pennsylvania. I said, we're going to go visit. And she goes, I'm not moving there. I said, okay, let's just go and visit. Why does God even want us to visit? This is what I prayed for. And she's open to it. She's like, that's fine. Because she sees me burning here. So we go up and we're getting on the highway from Baltimore, heading south, I mean, north on I-70. And she looks over and she sees a rollback with a car on the back of it. And there's a license plate. She goes, you see that license plate? I said, no. So I slow back down and it says, trust in God. 
T-R-S-T-N, God. And she's like, dude, I'm like, whatever, let's go. And we go and up and we take a look at the mission. We took a look at the apartment and we're leaving there. And she goes, I'm not moving here. I said, fine with me. God doesn't want it. You, you have to agree to it and you're not agreeing to it. I'm good. Why did he bring us this far? And we decided on the way home, we were going to downsize and get simple. We were going to sell our house, get a smaller house get rid of one of the cars. We didn't need all this stuff. We were going to move where we were closer to be able to walk the things. We were going to downsize and get simple. God knew that wasn't going to happen. And he put it on my heart. He said, you asked, you said you needed roof over your head, food on table and health insurance. I offered you that and peace. I offered you that. And you're saying no. I said, I'm not saying no, Lord. This woman you gave me is. (laughs) you want want me to do it you need to convince her because i am not going to try to talk her into this no way he said ask her one more time i said oh no i can't do that he said ask her one more time so i went home that afternoon and i sat down and i said honey i really feel like we're called to do this so in my heart she goes okay let's do it Wow. <laughs> and I was like, oh my goodness, I could have fell off a chair. Be careful so what you pray giving, for. Yeah, I ended up giving my real estate business to a friend of mine who just survived breast cancer. And I went and ran that mission for, what, nine months, 10 months, and worked on getting an orphanage funded and just doing some things that were amazing and grew in my faith dramatically in that nine months. So did my wife. So, Chris, in closing, what would you recommend to someone who wants to hear God more clearly in their lives? The one thing that I would I would recommend that if somebody wants to hear God more clearly in your life is first and foremost spend time in front of the Blessed Sacrament. If you spend time in front of the Blessed Sacrament, you will hear him. You may not hear what you want to hear, but you will hear him. Also, go to his his mother and ask her to intercede if you're struggling. Because she will never take anything for her own. She will only lead you into a deeper relationship with her son. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Blazing Bush Podcast. Be sure and check out our website at blazingbush.com, as well as follow and like Blazing Bush on Instagram and Facebook. Until next time, God bless.